morning, everybody. So we are going to be in Micah chapter 3. Uh, by way of review, recall that Micah ministered to primarily the southern kingdom, which we call Judah. This was the period of time after the Assyrians had taken off the northern kingdom, which is often called Israel. And uh, he was a contemporary of Isaiah. And he really spoke against corruption in a lot of different uh, areas, and that's one of the things that chapter 3 will focus on today. Uh, we heard last week that there was some uh, results of his ministry. There, uh, he was able to see some fruit of repentance uh, under the reign of Hezekiah. Uh, so we, um, we got to see uh, some of that. And then, as is often the case in, as we study books of prophecy, it's always appropriate to look at, you know, what does this say uh, to us? Um, uh, what does it say about us? Uh, sometimes what does it say about Jesus? And, and many times what does it say about God? And we got a little uh, look at this uh, last week, and it's worth reviewing. So if you look briefly at Micah chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 2, it says, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention on O earth and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, who will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. And he goes through, and in those few verses, we learn a lot about God. And again, by way of review, we see that God is a universal God. He rules uh, everywhere, all the time, uh, nothing escapes him. And this was a, a contrast because very often there were many, many local gods, right? Many local gods, uh, but this was kind of different for a god to claim uh, that he was ruler over all, uh, over everything, over all peoples, all creation, and we know for all time. Uh, we learn in verse 2 that uh, he is holy, uh, so therefore, his rule is characterized by justice, and that's going to be a theme for today. Uh, it says that he is witness. Uh, nothing escapes his purview. Uh, we know uh, by the big term omniscience, he knows everything. Uh, another attribute, we think about God's omnipotence. In uh, verse uh, 3 and 4, it says uh, the Lord's coming out of his place, and he's going to deal with places in the earth that would maybe be typically thought to be out of reach, uh, the, the pinnacles of the earth. And you could look at that um, literally or figuratively, uh, but God's more powerful than those things. So all of those uh, bulwarks of nature, uh, he can uh, render, it says, like, like melting wax or by water pouring down a hole. Um, everything uh, is under his, um, under his power. Uh, we see his activity in divine judgment, and uh, so much so that he really cares when people follow his rules and his ways. And much of the uh, condemnations that you see in all the prophets are simply a way of looking all the way back to the Mosaic Covenant. So remember, and Pastor Bobby goes back over this all the time, if you do what I say, I'm going to bless you, and if you don't do what I say, I'm going to curse you. And so a lot of these prophecies um, are just God once again saying, y'all, 
it's coming. Those things I promised are coming. And so, so there we go. So as we went through um, uh, chapters one and two, we saw that each of the uh, little locales, the villages and towns, uh, he called out uh, all of them, um, or I don't know if it was all of them, but he called out many of them, uh, saying that each one had a personal responsibility as to what was going on, and he called them out by name. Uh, generally, there was a call of return to holiness. And then after all of that, we get this little um, section at the end of uh, chapter 2, which leads us in nicely to uh, chapter 3. If we look at chapter 2, verse 12, it says, okay, we've had all this condemnation, and now we're going to see what God's going to do. And I want you to think about all the things in these two verses that says God is going to do. It says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break out. I'm sorry, they break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Look at it. It says, first of all, we see kind of this extra guarantee. In two places, it says, I will surely do this. I will surely do this. First thing he says, I will assemble you. Right? I'm going to gather you together. And then he elaborates and says, I will gather the remnant of Israel. So there's a distinction there. He says, first of all, I'm going to gather you, but they say, you know, it's going to be a remnant. We talked about that last week, this, this remnant that keeps talked about. These are the, the, the true believers, you might say, the, those that are um, putting their heart and soul into the commands of, of God. He says, I'll set them together like sheep in a fold. So we start to get some of this good shepherd language uh, ringing in our ears. Uh, it says, he who opens a breach goes up before them. Um, you've heard this phrase, you know, the, the point of the spear. Um, he, he's going to be the point person to break through, to, to breach the defenses of evil, you might say. And then so, even more so, it says um, he goes up before them. That phrasing means he's taken the battle to them. That goes up before them meant going to battle. So he's he's taking the, the point, he's breaking through the defenses, and then he's going to carry the battle against evil and so forth. And then uh, we get this language about uh, passing through the gate. And um, it made me think of the what we call the triumphal entry, the uh, procession, procession of Jesus uh, on Palm Sunday. Uh, as the king, you, at the latter part of verse 13, as the king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So you see God's personal involvement in all of this to to uh, bring it to pass uh, in an ultimate way. And uh, we're going to uh, see more of that uh, today. So let's begin uh, in earnest uh, with chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And I said, uh, this is Micah picking up his, his um, uh, prophecy and condemnation. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel. Uh, very often we see uh, Jacob and Israel interchangeably. Uh, pretty much all that's left of 
the big term Israel right now is the southern kingdom. The other had been carted off already. He says, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people, their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay the skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them because they have made their deeds evil. So this is nasty, right? Uh, you, this condemnation, and, and when it says, um, uh, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house, uh, people think this means those judges in the land, the people who were charged with uh, dispensing God's justice, um, is it not for you to know justice? In Amos 5, who prophesied, Amos prophesied, oh, 50, 75 or so years before Micah, he said, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil, love good, establish justice at the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Here we are 75 years later. Sounds very familiar, right? Sounds very familiar. Seek good, not evil. Hate evil, love good. But what does it say about these people? They hate the good and love the evil. That's backwards. And it says, so much so, it's almost like you're literally chewing them up as if for a stew, like meat in a pot. Like Sweeney Todd comes to life here. Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, we learned in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. What does a widow have to offer to a judge? Just just the facts, right? The oppressed, what do they have to offer? Here's my story. That wasn't enough back then. You had to have money to get a favorable opinion. I wish that were always, uh, you know, that, was, that that concept was banished, but we know, you know, it continues, right? As long as there have been humans, there's always been corruption. And, you know, it's always worse when people in authority and power um, are the ones that are messing up, right? I mean, we, that's why we're just aghast, you know, whether it's, dirty cop, a, jur- a judge on the take, a, a minister who is taking advantage of people he should be shepherding. I mean, it's just, those things just hit us um, at the core. How much more do they hit our Lord? Verse 5, Micah's message now shifts from the judges in the land 
over to the prophets in the land. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat. In other words, when somebody gives them a little bribe, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Get a good message for a nice little token on the side. Nothing to give. All right, you're getting a bad message. Some, it's like a weird protection racket. Verse 6, therefore, here's the judgment. It shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. So this is interesting. Um, Micah acknowledges that there were prophets in the land who had been bestowed special gifts by God who had, they had some prophetic gifts. That's how you, I don't know how else you say it. You know, they could perhaps get glimpses of the future. They, God had somehow endowed them with, you know, the, the ability to, to do things that ordinary people couldn't. He said, you know, all that's going to stop. It shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. Now, this is interesting. Think about it. What if you had that ability, right? What if you could kind of tell how things were going to turn out? You could maybe put that to your advantage, right? And this would be a little bit more advanced, I'm sure, than you know, predicting the score of the Super Bowl or something like that. But what if you had this ability, this extra sense of being able to tell how things turned out and then it was taken away. You'd feel you'd feel different, right? One of your one of your core special attributes was was is now gone from you. Uh, now you're just like the rest of everybody. You probably feel a little vulnerable, a little naked, so to speak. Uh, eh, what's it like being like the rest of everybody? Uh, very good punishment. The seer shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall cover their lips. They've, literally, they've got nothing to say because God's taken this gift away. Um, now, one, this diviners, when it, it was like, well, what is this diviners? Well, apparently... And I don't really understand this all the way, so there's a little speculation. But, you know, we know, we know Micah is getting word from the Lord and being faithful to just relay that word, that message. Apparently, there were diviners who they would figure stuff out through less pure means, you might say, right? They might pull the liver out of an animal and break it apart and see what that predicted or you know drop a bunch of uh arrows on the ground and see how they fell and make something of it literally kind of what we would say reading tea leaves um that's what diviners referred to and it's weird i don't know if that was just like pretenders 
or somehow God <laughs> used that. I, I don't know. It's that that one just made me shake my head a little bit. In any event, I guess if it was a yes or no question, they would have a 50% chance of being right. Maybe that's the secret there. But Micah says, you know what? I've still got it. You don't have to worry about me not knowing what's going on. He says, but as for me, this is verse 8. I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Don't you just picture he's looking in the crowd and he sees some of his former colleagues who've literally lost it. They've lost that ability. And don't you think he holds them in the most contempt, right? Uh, nobody's rougher on somebody than in your own guild, right? You know, you have a carpenter who sees bad framing from a, someone that should know better. Ugh. You know, you ever gone to a restaurant with somebody who knows a restaurant business? It's, it's, it's really not good. <laughs> um, now, this, this story turned out okay, but I, I have a friend who's... Um, a registered dietitian, and uh, we were out to eat with them. And uh, next thing we know, she's in this little discussion with the the uh, gal that was taking our order. And I tuned in, and she said, "So that's okay." I'm like, "Okay, what's going on?" And next thing you know, she's off to tour the kitchen. And came back, and she said, "Well." You know, the tomatoes in their refrigerator were a little questionable, but everything else looked really good. Like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure I really needed to know that. <laughs> but here's Micah. He's a prophet giving a prophetic word against other prophets. Uh, you can just see him kind of bow up about this. Verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked, all that is straight. Um, he's, he's going to make a more general statement now. He's expanding uh, to condemnation of the leaders, the prophets, and the priests. Um, you build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. In other words, we're still fine. God's, God's, God's not going to do anything to us. We've still got the temple. Right? So said, nope. Because of you, verse 12, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Um, it's all coming down. Before we leave chapter 3, let me call your attention to one statement back in verse 8 when he says, I'm filled with power and the spirit of the Lord. Um, throughout the New Testament, we get this concept of the Trinity, right? We see the baptism of Jesus and we hear 
God the Father speaking and the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus the Son. We see everything there in one picture. But there are elements of the Trinity throughout the Old Testament as well. And here is a very uh, clear uh, example of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, filling Micah with power. Um, We know about the Holy Spirit's work in creation. Um, We hear the Holy Spirit come up in David's confession, you know, created me a clean heart and uh, renew a right spirit within me. And he goes on and talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we see the work of the Trinity throughout. And this is another distinctive of Christianity compared to other religions. Um, this, is, this is an active presence now. And in today's world, when um, there's a real focus on individualism and, and individual experience about things, Um, maybe teaching a little bit more about the Holy Spirit who does provide an individual connection with God. Maybe that might speak to some of the people. So we need to teach all of, all of scripture. And, and, uh, although by nature, the Holy Spirit doesn't call attention to himself. Um, we, we do need to teach that balance. Chapter four, verse one. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it and many nations shall come. It shall come in the latter days. Uh, What are these last days? Very often prophecy will talk about you know, in the latter days or in the last days, or maybe sometimes they talk about the day of the Lord. And you get this idea that there's going to be a day when everything is kind of put to rights. And so if you have a period of time, as, as you'll see, when everything is different, where people recognize who the true God is, where people who have been floundering and, and looking for fairness and looking for, you know, upright judges and, and upright prophets and upright kings, when all that is available and the world is flocking to the center, of which we find is Jerusalem, when is that time? When, when is it? That's a, when is it? I think it's coming soon. What do we call it? Millennium. That's the millennium. Yeah. All right. When else in history do you have the exaltation of the kingdom of God, but not everybody is a Christian? That's a millennium. Okay. So think, you know, the world is returning to order because of the true presence of God, but yet not everybody's a Christian. People are hearing about a true God, a true judge, you know, uh, all of this is happening and people are coming and you'll see that. So here we have 
And, and one nice thing about Micah is you hear this, how horrible it's going to be for the people who are corrupt and, you know, chewing people up and spitting them out, so to speak. But then we have, uh, but let me tell you what it's going to be like. And that's, here we are, in the latter days. The Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted above the hills. Verse 2, and many nations shall come and, and they'll say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. If you have portions of a community that are oppressed, who have maybe seen justice not go their way, who have maybe seen you know, officials who weren't doing the right things, don't you think those folks would be the ones most likely to welcome proper laws and proper justice? Of course. That's very attractive. What do they want? Let's learn his ways that we can walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 3, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is what happens when God is in control. Uh, we see in Revelation, and this is a little later in time, of course, that there will be an even greater time when, when every knee uh, will bow. Verse 6 begins a special um, set of qualities about this remnant. Verse 6, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who've been driven away and those whom I've afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. God's always doing it differently than we picture, right? He's not gathering up the mighty and the amazing and the people who just crushed it in the eyes of man. He's gathering up the lame and those who've been driven away, those who've been afflicted, maybe because they were trying to do the right thing and, it, and they didn't receive, um, you know, the proper credit and so forth. Um, and out of that, I'm going to make a strong nation. You know, um, we talk about Mount Zion. It's going to be amazing. But current day, it's not that much of a mountain. But it's going to be. We don't know how that's going to happen, but it's going to be. That remnant may not mean that much right now. But it's going to be. And we, we learn about this. Um, 
This millennial temple we talked about is going to be prominent in the world. It says that people are going to be attracted to Jerusalem. Uh, God's going to be the judge. There will be universal peace. Um, the people of Israel will all of a sudden start to listen to God again. They'll be sensitive to what he's telling them. They'll be open to his leadership. You know, all of the things that, you know, Micah would want for them right now will ultimately happen. Verse 8, it says, And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Verse 9. Here we kind of shift again. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? The pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in later labor for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country and you shall go to Babylon uh, judgment is coming we know that he calls it out right here you're going to Babylon now I'm not sure if if the 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 changeover where Babylon kind of conquered the Assyrians I'm not sure if that was already happening and Micah just called it out or if he's actually prophesying hey I don't know if you've heard of Babylon, but they're going to take over the Assyrians. Um, I don't know the timing exactly on that, but he's, he's saying, here's what's going to go happen. You're going to go in the open country. You're going to go to Babylon. But he says, there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now, many nations are assembled against you, right? We know that, that you know, <laughs> the bad days are coming. You're kind of getting surrounded here. They're saying, let her be defiled. Let our gaze be upon Zion. In other words, we're coming for you. Verse 12, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in many pieces, many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord and their wealth to the whole uh, their wealth to the Lord the, of the whole earth. So saying, you know, people are surrounding you. They're coming for you. Uh, they're going to take you back to Babylon. All those people that are wishing bad for you, they have no idea they're actually part of my plan. So this is one of those interesting glimpses we have to the sovereignty of God interfacing with kind of the free will of man, I guarantee you, all those generals, all the kings, all the people that were planning against Israel, they had their own motivations, right? They were wanting to control the trade routes that went back and forth to Egypt. Uh, they were wanting to, uh, you know, whether Egypt was going to be with them or for them was a constant tension there, Um Ultimately, you know, Alexander the Great came through, and there was this ongoing tension even in Jesus' day. Um, they had no idea that they that that was somehow part of God's plan. So you have this in the mystery of God; these things living side by side, where you have evil people planning evil, but yet somehow it's all part of God's plan. There is no figuring it out. So I don't feel bad feeling like I don't figure it out because no one else can either. Um, 
But that's, that's, that's just it. They don't know. They don't know. Um, there is always going to be a market, so to speak, for this sort of a message, right? People that are oppressed are always going to want to hear of someone who is um, their redeemer, their savior, right? Um, one of my favorite series of movies is The Equalizer. Uh, Denzel Washington is one of my favorite actors. Book of Eli, my favorite movie. Um, they can be a little gory. I'll admit that. Um, but honestly, it's nothing but a modern-day Western, right? Because you know who the good guys are. You know who the bad guys are. And if the good guy stretches the law a little bit to obey a higher law, you're kind of okay with that too. Um, but there's always a market for that. We've lived in Lancaster County, most of us, for a long time. We remember INSP days when it was the outgrowth of the Jim Baker and Tammy Faye thing, the PTL, remember that? The Cerullos bought it out of bankruptcy court, started INSP, kind of a quasi-Christian <coughs> situation. 2010, they rebranded, and um, basically, this is the network of Westerns. All the old ones. Gunsmoke, The Rifleman, Bonanza. <coughs> They have grown 1,100% in viewership over the past few years. And I don't think it's just because baby boomers are getting older. They've been able to spin off a brand to young people who want to follow the cowboy way, apparently. Um, there's an appeal there, right? You, you like the black and white. You like to know where the rules are. You like someone who dispenses justice in a proper way. I think the, the, the message here, I think, is that you've got to get the balance, right? Sometimes you'll hear, you know, maybe somebody taking an extreme and really <laughs> hating evil. But if you're not loving the good, right? Um, so that's the balance, that's a balance. These people got it wrong in both directions. Um, so, Micah 3 and 4, what do you think? Still relevant? All right, quick comments. Anyone? Jeff? The problem with those good prophets that are still prophesying truth is they never had any 